Brothers and sisters, welcome back to the XX Mormon Podcast. Uh, we have a wonderful program today, joined by another Lamanite, uh, this time a Lamanite sister, our first Lamanite sister on the show. Uh, we cannot wait. Of course, presiding up on the stand is Bishop Jensen. And uh, Bishop, if you want to say hi, and then I'll introduce our guest. Hello. Hello, children of the, of the con congregation. Children of the promise. <laughs> I should say, I think that's the right. Children of the Covenant, welcome to our Sunday meeting so, on the Sabbath day. If you remember, folks, about a month ago, we interviewed uh, Brother the Brother of Jared, and uh, he was a fantastic guest. Well, today we have his wife, who came up a couple times uh, in his story, but now we get to hear her story. So if everybody could please give a warm, silent Mormon sacrament meeting welcome to Sister, the wife of the brother of Jared. Thank you for that Hello. welcome, everybody. Hello. Uh, okay. So, Sister, introduce yourself. Tell us who you are, where you're from, all that. All right. Cool beans. So, I am the sister, the wife of the brother of Jared. So, true, true Book of Mormon fashion, my name is my husband's. Um, so your, your name is your I husband's brother's. <laughs> I mean, it's just all that. Exactly. All that it's all about the men. It's all about <laughs> word. Them. Word. So um, I am a former Mormon, ex-Mormon, um, and I'm from uh, Fresno, California. And I was raised in the church. Both my parents are converts. And my dad is Native American. My mom is white, so European American of that heritage. And then I went to BYU, Idaho, and I got a degree and survived. I survived BYU, Idaho. Congrats. Um, I served, <laughs> word, I served a mission in um, New Mexico. Mm. And now I live in Oklahoma and I'm getting my graduate degree in social work. So that's, and I'm married to the brother of Jared. So that's my story. <laughs> that's awesome. Okay. Uh, so you said your parents are both converts. Were they baptized before you were born? Well, that's, uh, that's, that is such a good question. So my mom, she converted when she was like 13 and mm -hmm. she was the only like member of her family, okay. but she converted in like a super cool, groovy, like progressive ward on the mm. Bay area. So she didn't get a lot of like the weird stuff that you get if you grow up in the church. Cause like right. she didn't do stuff she didn't want to do. She didn't go to young women's, she didn't go to mutual, she didn't go to girls camp. Yeah. Um, I did. So I got all that trauma, but she didn't, um, and then my dad, she married him when he was not a member and they were cool with that Yeah, because she was a convert. She wasn't used to growing up in an LDS family. So like, it just wasn't a weird choice for her or hard for her. Um, and then I had two older siblings be born and then I was born and my mom had a like pretty traumatic birth with me. Hmm. So my dad got love bombed into getting baptized. So he got oh. baptized when I was a baby. So I grew up with two parents in the church. My older siblings have like some memories of being an apart member family. Right. Um, but I don't. But none of my extended family ever converted. It was just our little little Mormon island. Just the just the little bubble. I'm curious about a couple things then with that. <laughs> um I mean your your mom was baptized pretty young. Uh, and then she married a Native American man. And so I want to hear, like, what was her perception? Like, did she marry this guy and be like, you're a Lamanite. Like, I have this history for you. <laughs> like, tell, was there anything to do with that? Or was, did she, was, was she unaware? Like you said, she had this more progressive <laughs> ward that she grew up in. So, 
yeah, what what was the deal with that? Excellent question. So yeah, my mom, so she converted at the time when the church did like an excellent PR move. So mm. she converted in like the 70s. So they were really trying to cover up anything that was super, super obviously racist. Yeah. Um, but she she met my dad and my dad's light skinned so she just thought like he was a handsome man that had long hair that he braided right um but she got to know him like she went to his apartment and he had like native stuff because we do that we just decorate like that yeah <laughs> um and so she's like wow you're native american but she never she never called him a lamanite she never addressed him that right. way right um so i grew up in a weird perception of the Book of Mormon because my dad never told us to identify with it. So I never did. It was okay. very bizarre. So we would read the Book of Mormon and I never liked reading it. True story. Uh, but it's not a great presented, read. No, it's really not. He, he presented it to me like this is some people's heritage to the Americas, mm. but like a small, like the Book of Mormon stories are like a small isolated group of people. Right. And it could not, it was impossible for it to cover both continents. And if you read it, it is like, it really can't. How does it, the tip of Alaska, the bottom of Argentina, how do we do yeah. this? So it's always presented to me like this small, isolated group. And my tribe, by nation that I'm from, I don't represent all Cherokee people, but that is the tribe that I'm, you know, card carrying, affiliated with. And I'm, it's important to me. So I was, pretty much raised it like well that's not Cherokee's history that's right. that's just other people we don't really know who but it's but it's them but then the ward that I was in and the stake that I was in and people would push that heritage on to me so it wasn't really coming from my home it was coming from other LDS people so other LDS people would diminish my identity based on my physical appearance because right. I would find things offensive. Like I found the book of Mormon offensive, like nine years old. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I started reading it and I was like, this is really, I don't like this. Yeah. <laughs> this is offensive. Um, and so they would diminish it like, Oh, but you're so white, but you're so white. And then when that didn't work, then they'd flip it and be like, but this is your heritage and you should be proud. And I would read it and I'd be like, the Nephites are terrible people. Like, yeah. I, how are we rooting for them? They're not good. Uh, so just, I mean, the gaslighting we all experienced. That yeah. was like my childhood journey. So yeah, my mom, um, she grew up in this super functional, more functional works. You can't say super functional because there's always little red flags. <laughs> yeah. And then she served a mission off of the, out of the U.S. Um, and she had a really amazing mission. She like really worked with refugees and it was just like a super cool so she's having like there were still toxic things that happened because her mission president was like a freaking weirdo <laughs> but it wasn't um she just wasn't saturated the way that me and my siblings were because right. we were raised in it and she didn't go to church schools i think she did for one semester and was like this is weird and left like she right. just was this rogue person um but yeah so thank literally thank god uh my mom didn't like fetishize my dad for being a Lamanite. Yeah. It was an attractive, it's an attractive part of him, like the same way my husband's race and ethnicity is an attractive part of him, but I wasn't I wasn't out to get me a Lamanite either. Like Right. <laughs> and it, it sounds like your parents, the way that they did it, because your mom kind of came from this more progressive background, especially with her family never converting. It was just her thing and she wound up in a progressive ward. And then also, your father never claimed that Lamanite history. And so you were able to be Mormon, but also have a pride for your 
uh, indigenous ancestry and culture. Um, and so it sounds like you were pretty well adjusted um, with with all of that. But then you said you found it offensive when you were nine. So did your wheels start spinning that like maybe this wasn't true when you were nine or were you just kind of like, oh, like who are these dirt bags? Like what, what is this? Um, beautiful question. So yes, actually. So by age 11, I realized I didn't want to marry a Mormon man. I was 11 wow. years old and I didn't, I, I told my mom, I told my dad, I was like, I have no interest in getting married in the temple. I want a part member family simply because at that age, I didn't like what I was seeing from right. bo boys in my ward and, and grown and grown men. I wasn't, I was like, God, if that's what I have to look forward to, like, nope. But um, the church is an excellent way of reeling you back in. So that's what happened to me. So I had what I would consider to be like little spiritual experiences for like an 11 year old. So when I was 12, I got a patriarchal blessing and it, like reeled me back in like that was a spiritual experience that reeled me back in and it said i'd be with a member so i was like oh dip like that my plans have changed right and then again when i was 17 so by the time i was 17 none of my lds friends were active anymore and my closest friends were not members so just like when i was 11 the culture of the church wasn't working wasn't working when i was about 17 yeah um and i was really, really devout into God and into the Old Testament and into religion and into spirituality. So me wandering again, but for totally different reasons, uh, Church Did Its Little Wonders wrote me back in because I prayed for like three months consistently and asked if the Book of Mormon was true yeah. and if this church was true. And I got silence, got radio silence, but I kept doing it until, of course, you have a spiritual experience that tells you, yes, my spiritual experience is going to girls camp. Um, and I had a spiritual experience that confirmed and roped me right back in. So two different times before I was an adult for different reasons, I was finding my way out of the church, whether it was this religion isn't very devoted to the scripture that I'm finding or I don't even like these people, <laughs> whatever, right. the, whatever the fact, whatever the reasons were. Um, and then the third time as an adult, nothing worked to roll me back in. And here we are. <laughs> right. Okay. So you're kind of going through this thing, but then you get the doubt your doubts, you know, ideas and you get your patriarchal blessing that like, so when you got your patriarchal blessing, you believed it enough that you were like, I guess, like, I guess I will marry a Mormon guy. I guess that's what's going to happen. Word. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. And it's just, it's sad because at 11, 12 years old, I was already afraid that I was never going to get married and I was never going to have kids. Yeah. Because I already thought that LDS men didn't like me. Right. I already thought that. I already thought that I was unattractive to white Mormon because all I was around was these white Mormon boys who were like little mini misogynists. And I was like, God, this mm -hmm. is not going to work for me. Yeah. Um, but it keeps just ropes you in so yes you paraphrase and i just added on to your little can, nugget of <laughs> paraphrasing like can i ask it like what were the the boys doing that kind of made you feel like you were an outsider such a good oh, so deep um <laughs> if, like if it's bringing up painful memories we can no 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 side, i'm fine i like i just want to highlight like <laughs> i think i, like I know what you're talking about i think i was probably a part of that um 
I just think it's important for everybody to hear what it's like. Yeah. Oh, so thank if you, you. You know what I mean? I, so no, I don't explain mind. Explain how douchey Mormon boys can be. <laughs> yeah, as I said, I don't mind talking about any of the painful parts because it opens the door for other women to be like me too. But I mean, it's just everything. They would say racist jokes about any, any race. Mm -hmm. And I was raised by my parents to think that that's offensive. Mm -hmm. um, so they would say racist things about Native people, any group of people, um, even white people that weren't Mormon. They would say these hideous, awful things. They were like unusually unmature for their age. Mm -hmm. And um, they would body shame girls and, and fat shamed girls and there's such a limited window, I believe, personally, for Eurocentric beauty standards. Like, it's really small. Like, mm -hmm. most European-descended women don't even fit into it. But, like, I didn't. Like, I was always a thicker kid. Some of my facial, well, pretty much all of my facial features are indigenous. Mm -hmm. um, so I was kind of raised to feel like, you know, my eyes were too small and they were upturned and I had a big nose or all those things that, like, I got dogged on about it. Like not uh, so much of it was very passive aggressive. Yeah. But I would see these boys make fun of these other girls and, you know, I could see myself in them. I would, I would avoid boys in my church and just like not want to deal with them. And then at that time from about 10, 10 to 18, I had two different bishops that were very misogynistic. And one was like, violently misogynistic like everyone knew he hated women wow. and then the other one was like super subtle and they would like just be buddy buddy with these boys like reduced to their level and we had activities that the young men got to do that the young men wouldn't and then my that bishop like the violently misogynist when i say violently because it was just very aggressive misogyny yeah he would let us know as as girls that we like weren't important like he would really go out of his way like really good example is he was a, the bishops from all the wards were supposed to pick up the girls from girls camp we're out at this camp out in the mountains separate from the city it's like a few hours drive and he was late on purpose and he didn't have a good reason or a good excuse he just so we at this camp uh, my little ward of girls we waited for four hours for him and another bishop of another ward stayed so that we would not be alone and there was like i think one maybe adult woman from my ward but it was mostly just us girls and he didn't apologize and he made it a point not to an not to apologize and he just made it a point i now know that that was because at the time it like confused me but now that i'm an adult i look back and it was just to just to let us know how we really weren't inconvenienced to him and we weren't important to him. And that same bishop would talk to us about, you know, just the obsession with modesty, obsession with purity. Um, I stood up for myself against a boy that was being rude to me, disrespectful to me. And that bishop told me right then and there, uh, women do not demand chivalry. And that's what he said. And I was like, I <laughs> got like gobsmacked and now as an adult I have I can pick this apart like I can rip that man to shreds yeah. but as a kid you're just like so confused and then another part was that that particular bishop really ingrained in us not to be critical of him so my poor little adorable parents had no idea the level of misogyny that he was doing with the 
focusing on modesty and focusing on the love chastity is constantly to us. And I was only like 10 to 12 and this has all happened. So 12 was like obviously girls camp, but before that, just the weird. And so then these young men, my, around my age, that was what was normal. So they would imitate that in their own and boys with a mistake too, like separate from that word would imitate that behavior. Um, And I just didn't, I did not like it. And if I stood up for myself, I would be corrected by adults, not my parents. And then I couldn't even tell my parents about it because that's a sin to criticize your leaders. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, you'd be at risk for that. So your parents weren't even aware, but I, I assume, do you think they like would have said something, would have done something? Um, Good question. Um, did I cut you off? Sorry. No, no, wanna... no. Okay. I just you had like a pause. I, just, and then... I know. I just had a really poor way of ending that <laughs> sentence. It's okay. It's fine. Um, my, well, at one point, that particular bishop was disrespectful to my mom, and my dad got involved, and he actually threatened him with physical violence. Um, but he didn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think. You know, God bless them. I think my parents were just victims as well. Yeah. But I, now that I've expressed some of what went on, they're like horrified and they're like, God, I wish I would have done something. So I think that they would have because my dad had already tried with that bishop. Just as he called my mom a liar and like, you don't do that. Um, Especially for like Cherokee people, like being called a liar is like, absolutely not. Like as a culture, we really nope yeah (laughs) um and Cherokee culture I feel I feel really bad for my dad because I think he really wrestled what was natural for him versus the expectations of the church like we all like we all all of us do but especially if you're a convert you have this like other world experience yeah um so there's just things that church culture put on you like respecting that bishop even though you want to punch him in the face right um and then so I think slowly but surely um, they would have done something had they known or it would have been abrupt and aggressive. Right. But I, I really do see every every person in the church as a victim. Like my parents are being gaslit every yeah. every time they went to the temple, every time their their personal beliefs were diminished, were minimized, were just not taken seriously. They just sort of worked really hard at that time to like gaslight my dad because he's a priesthood holder and his, he was a primary breadwinner at that time. So his tithing. So I think they worked on like making him feel comfortable. Right. Like don't tell him that we treat his kids like trash, but we'll (laughs) like, um, that's my opinion. Looking back on it is that I think they would have done something, but they just had no idea. And they were being, you know, they're the ones whose money was stolen yeah, in my in the, my eyes because tithing is evil. <laughs> the church screws everybody. Um, yeah, yeah, Lord. yeah. So then you ultimately went on a mission despite like these doubts. <laughs> so do you want to like walk us walk us through the process like leading up to your mission? You talked about like getting your answer, like forcing yourself to have this answer after months of praying about it, um, and then going on a mission. So where did where did that decision come from? I love that you brought it up because it is a culmination of all of the things I just mentioned. So I like knew that I needed to go to a church school in order to stay in the church because none of my friends were members. I'd already been, you know, tempted away with whatever. (laughs) 
Um, so I thought I'm gonna go to a church school. And so I really wanted to see if I could be accepted by this culture that never accepted me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I basically went on a mission to escape an abusive relationship that I was in with an LDS boy, man, young man, I don't know, acted like a boy. Um, yeah. And that whole relationship, most of it, I was away at BYU, we were long distance. But whenever we would be in the same town, you know, an act of violence would occur and then we'd go through the honeymoon cycle. And he would use spiritual manipulation to keep me in that relationship. Um, he was a convert, but he had exposure to the LDS church like his whole life. So he kind of knew what kind of games to play and what things to say to me to make me feel like I was trapped. I'd feel guilty if I would break up with him, he'd manipulate me into coming back with like spiritual guilt and forgiveness and et cetera. And I also kept that abuse a secret from my family and from my friends. But some of my roommates figured it out and they're like, oh, I hate that guy. But I was like, you're wrong. But they weren't wrong. <laughs> Surprise if my <laughs> ex-roommates are listening to this. You were right. Um, so I, he wanted me to marry him. He asked me to marry him like four times. And every time I said no. And then finally I told him like, well, I think you need to go on a mission. And he's like, I don't really have to. Like, I'm a convert. Like, that's not really an expectation. Mm-hmm. So basically I was like, well, I will go on a mission. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, will, I will escape. You're I will try- get out of this. You're trying to get rid and- of him by sending him on a mission. <laughs> he doesn't go and you're like, I- fine, I'll go. <laughs> and that's literally wow. how I did it. And then when I was on my mission, I pretty, I pretty much was like, trauma bonded to him but he ended up you know cheating on me and I found out and broke up with him and I was like devastated but relieved at the same Mm -hmm. time and that's super sad because that was a pattern for me dating until my husband men in the church it was always like that I was sad it didn't work out but I was relieved at the same time (laughs) like what kind of toxic brainwashing does this church do to girls but that was exactly how I felt and um, happily on my mission I served in Indian country. So I was around native people, large groups of, it wasn't, we were an island anymore. I was around large groups of native people and it was lit. It was awesome. They were, I was loved, seen, validated way more than I ever was by Mormons. Hmm. Like it felt like my true community and my whole life from white Mormon people, I was told how white I looked, how white I was. But these, right. I, I swear to you, no indigenous person, no member of my community has ever said that to me. They yeah. have never diminished my identity. They have, they do the opposite. Like yeah. we just, it's like being around cousins you never knew you had. Like right. even to this day when I'm around other natives, we just, we be vibing. Um, and I got close to two companions that I'm still good friends with. But uh, yeah, I went on a mission to escape a crazy ex-boyfriend. <laughs> the story i mean awful reason to go but then it sounds almost like while you're there you like it's it sounds like you got almost converted to your own culture right and like (laughs) almost like oh like i like this culture way better than the the mormon culture that i've been involved with for my whole life and uh yeah i think I, i think that's that's awesome um, and I mean, just every, every time you bring up that, um, people talking about how white you are, uh, that's like the cringiest Mormon thing that you can say to an indigenous person, because that's like part of the quote unquote promise is that your skin will be like made light when you come back to the gospel. And so, you know, like that's where that comes from. That's where 
like that history that idea comes from is this like told oh that. righteousness you were told that my curse was lifted oh somebody actually yeah, said that curse to you. was lifted by your mother being and white then, like, and, it's got nothing and, to do with and they <laughs> and they said that to me and my face was just like so then they played it off as a joke. Like, oh, I'm, I'm kidding. Like, no, you were not. You were, I just yeah. respond in a flattering way. And it yeah. was the same misogynistic bishop. <laughs> oh, no. It was that guy, you know, same, all the, all the trauma. <laughs> wow. Wow. Well, I'm glad you found some good people on your mission. Um, and so you go on your mission. What happens when you come home? Like, what is, what is that like? Oh, this is where the ball really gets rolling. Um, so I come home and I fell into like a super deep, dark depression that I now understand. I have the words to understand why, because it was basically like a really intense cult experience and coming off of that. Um, and I went to BYU, Idaho, back to BYU, Idaho, but I was different. And I also think the school might have been different too, because I noticed in heaps and bounds the sexism and the racism was like out of control yeah so i had gone from this place where i was accepted and loved and validated and not all but most indigenous cultures are not misogynistic like obviously there are native men who are misogynists and native women who contribute to that problem but generally speaking that's not like that's like not our way like that just isn't and then also I was seen loved and validated for my heritage. So <laughs> here we come back to BYU, Idaho. Then in BYU, Idaho, if your heritage isn't Mormon pioneer stock, or if you don't adopt that, no matter what your heritage is, you're less than. So mm-hmm. even my white side wasn't appreciated because my mom's family weren't members and they were you know, immigrants that came over in 1908 and they didn't come for religious reasons. They came because of poverty. And I like love her heritage. I love all of my heritage, but like that was a no, like I mm-hmm. needed to be adopting this weird pioneer shit. Um, and so I come over my mission, I'm depressed, I'm crawling out of my depression. Um, and then it turned out that like my whole family was struggling with their testimony. And I started seeing really, really toxic things at BYU Idaho. And I started getting vocal about it with my siblings. And that's when we started having discussions about problems that we were seeing. Um, and, you know, for my sister, it was a lot of shared experiences, like, and then some, cause she had other things too. Um, but for my brother, he was finding like church history that, totally explained like in a psycho sociological way why i was experiencing the current problems that i was like oh well this is why this is an issue because it goes all the way back to freaking like brigham young said this or whatever um and so i come from my mission and then the struggle to keep my faith just didn't stop it was a it was slowly but surely but i was like fighting for my life so embarrassing to to, to keep this testimony uh despite huge evidence um so one of the things do you want me to get into byu idaho at all or do you have any questions yeah i want like you just um like when you're mentioning things that are toxic, just like what were the things that you found that were toxic at BYU? Oof, here's a really good here's a really good example. <laughs> Buckle up and get ready. So I was realizing that a lot of my friends and roommates had been survivors of sexual violence, wow. and that had occurred at, at campus, not on campus, didn't matter. 
And a lot well, of them. Sorry, what kind of like some of these terms are kind of loaded, right? Like, oh, sorry, a, a violent act, <laughs> My sexual violence. Right? Um, so like, base, what do you mean by? Are we talking catcalling? <laughs> are we talking? Because all these things are. I wouldn't. I don't want to diminish it. Like I'd say, it's all no, yeah. sexually violent in nature. But are we talking? They got catcalled. They got spanked on the butt by you know somebody who didn't want them to, or they molested. Did it? Did these things happen at church? Um, did it happen at BYU? Just if you feel comfortable, anything that kind I don't know. of paints the picture, right? I love it. I just have kind of a social work brain where I just like say these like social work term, mm -hmm. like broad sort of sciencey terms. But the answer is D, all of the above. So I had uh, two different roommates get raped. Um, I had friends uh, get molested by active members of the church uh, at campus, not on campus. So this is like D, all of the above. I experienced sexual harassment like four times in one week through catcalling one time. Um, and then as well as I got um, like threats for my life because of my heritage as well. So it was weird. It was like, I'm like, I had a, I had a Mormon active temple recommend holding Mormon man, boy, young man, tell me to my face. He had a hard time calling Native Americans human beings. Wow. Yeah. Holy so... <sighs> Okay. So it was like I felt unsafe as a woman. Yeah. And then I felt unsafe because of my heritage too. And so my friends that were experiencing D all the above when it comes to sexual violence, rape, molestation, catcalling, harassment, um, and just overall feelings of unease and feelings of uncomfortableness. Yeah. Um, so for example, my best friend came to my graduation, she visited. She told me she's a very beautiful woman. Um, and she was married, so she had a ring on. But she told me she never felt so many eyes on her in her life. Wow. Just men gawking at her. When, and we didn't, like, go out a ton. Like, we went to, like, Walmart. And that was, you know, we just weren't, you know, Rexburg is a tiny place. But she felt unsafe as, you know, an attractive woman at BYU-Idaho with just their creepy little eyes and their the, the leering. Yeah. Um, and she had a ring on. And yeah. it just the dis the disrespect. That's really what it is. So we're just like experiencing disrespect on a very wide scale. So anything from creepy little nonstop eyes to catcalling to molestation to rape was all yeah. going on, and it's like all around me. Because um, women felt comfortable enough to open up to me, um, because I just like have that vibe. I guess uh, no complaints. I like having this vibe, mm -hmm. but. So I thought my little problem solvey, you know, the church is true, the people aren't type of mentality. I was like, I gonna fix this. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna make this okay. <sighs> so embarrassing. So I um, saw it. I met with a Title IX officer. So also including sexual violence, I had a roommate who was not sexually violated, but she did not want to watch a horror movie, and some men in an apartment held her down and made her watch it. Wow. So even though that wasn't sexually based, it's still like gender driven, yeah. terrifying experience, really horrible. So I thought I could do something about it. So one of the things I did was I reached out to Rain, which is an excellent resource. It's a, like rain.org. And I found out that there were no support groups within an eight hour radius of BYU, Idaho for survivors of sexual violence no support groups so i was like these the people the women and non-binary people that i am talking to because some of them later on have come out as anyways um 
they were all wanting to talk about it. They all felt alone. They all felt ashamed. And several of them, you know, myself included from my previous ex-boyfriend, like our bishops like blamed us for gender-based violence, blamed us for sexual abuse, like treat it like it was a sin, even though we're like, but we said no and we were crying and they molested us. (laughs) And the, the bishops were like, well, no sacrament for you for six weeks. Like we'd all had this like universal horrible experience. So I, I reached out to the school because you know what, let's have a support group. We need to be talking about this so we can feel empowered and we can feel not alone. And I found out, it's two parts to this conclusion, that the school at the time, and I have receipts for this, banned support groups for survivors of sexual violence. It was banned. So professors couldn't even facilitate it and like put it down on paper. True story. So I'm leaving the counseling office. So I started going to counseling because I was like, I'm psychologically at a breaking point because I'm like experiencing racism and sexism every every day, all day. Um, I'm leaving the counseling office and they have like a bulletin board type thing of like different mental health services that the or, you know, groups or whatever that the the school provides. And I see one. I took a photo of it. My old phone, the old little Android don't have any more of a school-facilitated, professor-facilitated support group for male perpetrators of domestic violence. So on campus, they had a support group for men who commit intimate partner violence, beating their wives, be way out of their wives or their girlfriends. That That was allowed. That was okay. But no support groups for women in general, or women of sexual survivors of sexual violence, of D, all of the above violence. Because what happens if you experience rape or molestation, simply being in a misogynistic environment, like triggers you, like yeah. sets you off. And you're not even aware that it's happening. Like, that's why I sought counseling is because I disassociated so hard in the library that I left all my stuff and like wound up on the third floor of like the MC. And I'm like, how did I, where's my wallet? Like, cause I was hearing men talk and they were talking about just disgusting things like this, like, yeah. like rape jokes yeah. <laughs> at the library. And I just, whoop. Like my brain just get, get the, get the fuck out of here. And so I was like, I need to go to counseling for this. And of course the counselor, his real alternative was to keep me an active member of the church. So he did a lot of victims. I now know this because I'm studying to be a therapist. I now know what the real, he was really working for the school. He wasn't really working for me. He wasn't really looking out for me. He was wanting me to work through this, but still remain an active in attendance which is like that's unethical (laughs) now that i know all this right that's like you don't do that yeah when their goal is to keep you in the church rather than to help you heal and as somebody who's also went to byu idaho i can uh confirm all of this i'm i'm a guy um and i i still heard about this because uh, because I, I wasn't doing those things and I'm not misogynistic, I had uh, girlfriends tell me about the things that they experienced um, just just normally. And it's just part of, like, it's part of their day at BYU-Idaho. Um, and I also want to touch on something, too. Uh, so we've, we've been talking about a lot of patterns within the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, within Mormonism as a whole, 
and um and, and some of those patterns are things like people expecting you to kind of surrender your culture and adopt this this mormon you know culture even if you're not of pioneer stock that you're expected to like behave like you are right uh and and what's interesting about that is that's like part of mormon doctrine is that you abandon your way and join this kind of appropriated israelite thing that joseph smith created right uh, all of these things are based in Mormon history, the misogyny, uh, the the violence. Um, and uh, yeah, like it's it's a pattern in the church that that's it. Like that is the way that it is. And you can see patterns all the way back to Joseph Smith of all of that stuff. Um, Word. Yeah. Did you ever experience any kind of like uh, the sweet and kind racism of like, oh, you're Native American. How cute. Oh, my like, God. Yeah. And then I'd open my mouth and they're like, she's not one of the good ones. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, because I, I mean, oh, God bless them. I tried to date some. It worked out with my husband, obviously, but I tried mm-hmm. to date some indigenous Mormon men. And that was their attitude, weirdly, towards an indigenous woman. Was that, like, sweet and kind like but like how are you like this against your own people but yeah. i had a i had two different native guys tell me bless their souls bless their hearts uh you look white but you you look white but you don't act like it i'm like what does that even mean like yeah. it doesn't mean anything it's it's craziness but they're they meant what what you were saying that like there's a certain culture that we're supposed to adopt and be a part of so like the sweet and kind racism weirdly came from my own <laughs> weirdly came from my own but it was like whatever I'd, I'd say with pride about my heritage my culture the Cherokee Nation has been on this continent for thousands of years they like in a sweet little like you know that Lamanite, that Lamanite heritage that we have you know like that and I'm like no like I want you to be proud of your nation too yeah just the way that it is and like <sighs> there's there it's it go the fetishization in my opinion goes both ways like you have white mormons fetishizing lamanites but there are also lamanites who fetish like they have this idea of how a white woman is supposed to act simply based on the like indoctrination of mormon culture because my you know my white friends that aren't mormon are like what does that even mean but i knew exactly what it meant because there's a certain You've talked about it on your podcast before too, like a certain pattern of speech that like mm-hmm. white Mormon who are wives of, you know, important men in the church have, and there's a certain demeanor and a certain demure. And like, I don't have that. So a lot of like the sweet and nice racism would stop once I would be this like loud, obnoxious. I'm not even loud and obnoxious, <laughs> but I am to them. You know what I mean? Right. Like You don't fit on- their mold. Yeah, I had, bless her soul, I had this Mormon woman come up and give me a hug, and it was a little odd, and then she goes, I am so sorry about what happened to Native American people, because she had taken, like, a U.S. history class or something, and it was so condescending, and it was so effing weird. (laughs) Like, my best friend was like, well, at least she didn't say she was happy about it. (laughs) She was trying (laughs) to find some, like, silver lining in that, like, awkward exchange. But that like, is, in that yeah. like weird like and it was it pissed me off for a couple reasons one was uh we're still going through hard times it yeah. isn't like well natives had it bad back in the day mm, no like 
please educate yourself. Yeah. And another thing, like, how do you think hugging a random native woman makes me feel like I'm the right. one you're, you're, how do I, I'm supposed to comfort you on the fact that you feel sad about something yeah. that didn't even happen. It, it has affected my family for generations. Yeah. <laughs> like it's called epigenetic coding. It's called historical trauma. It's called multi-generational trauma. So they, yeah. So the, yeah, the sweet and kind racism would usually turn into me coddling some, God bless them, some sweet little white Mormon who felt some sense of like, bizarre guilt which i don't believe in white guilt i think it's an avoidance of accountability for current yeah. issues yeah that's a whole other <laughs> we don't have enough time to discuss that but yeah that's to answer your question a very long with horrible stories way yes but is it sorry that the white guilt so that just like in a nutshell would that be white people act really really guilty to avoid doing anything about the social problem yes that's right. what i would call that that's it in I a would, nutshell that's what it was called. So if you truly feel remorseful and you truly feel empathy, you're, you, you're called to action. You're like, how do I make this yeah, less bad? Right. But instead yeah. they're like, it's so horrible. And I just can't think of any way to make it better. I nope, comfort me. Like, that's what right. it turned yeah, into. And, and there is that weird thing about like the expectation that wh like, what are you supposed to do? Say to her <laughs> on behalf of all indigenous peoples in both North and South America, I forgive you. Like <laughs> she didn't even do anything. Like right. she's not the per. Like it's exactly right. What was the expectation? Right. What was? Yeah. What What is that supposed to do? What's it supposed to accomplish? <laughs> and I know I've heard of uh, of black people uh, going through similar things um, with white people, but then just especially white people in the church. Be you know, <laughs> and it's it's like oh, I'm so sorry for what happened to you. It's like. So would you like to pay reparations? Like, do you want to, like, do something about it? Educate people about it, maybe? It's like, oh, no, 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 no. I mean, it's all in the past. You know, like, they, like, feel really, really guilty until you ask them to do something. They're like, well, it wasn't me who did it. Right? You're like, I know, and, and I wasn't there either, but, like, look at where we are now. But like, it, you're, yeah. you're exactly yeah. right. That's So I see that the church as a whole do stuff like that. Yeah. Like well, church, just, oh, sorry, keep going. I cut you off. Well, I just mean, okay, so I'm like a white cis male. I'm public enemy number one, right, to all <laughs> minority groups, right? Um, but you get this messaging about how bad white people have been or how minority groups have been treated. So when you get that messaging, I just say as a white person, it's first thing I think is like, hey, I was like born and I put on my pants one leg at a time and I ate Cheerios for breakfast <laughs> and I went to school. I spent, you know, 35 years just trying to keep up with what everybody's telling me to do. And now I'm finding out that a lot of people don't like people like me because a lot of people like me have done a lot of bad things. So I don't know what to do. So I'm just going to apologize. But I'm just a guy trying to make his way in the world like everybody else. Word. Well, one of the things. So what, that... Like, what would you expect just a guy? <laughs> like me to do because i'm getting all this messaging that like <laughs> well for starters both of you are already doing it because you yeah. left a toxic institution that perpetuates racism and mm -hmm. sexism step one y'all y'all done did it like you you have removed yourself and you no longer financially contribute to an institution that hurts those people so literally right on you um and then the other stuff is like 
it can be simple it can be basic like buy from minority owned businesses right politely or not politely depending on your realm of safety call out misogyny when you hear it even if it's in a subtle way because men are horrible to each other especially if a man stands up for women or for other groups of people like yeah i have seen it, it happens at buu idaho like horribly like there's like one guy and all his roommates were super racist and they just made him the brunt of every joke like it's horrible yeah um so like my heart goes out to it. I remember that whole incident very distinctly in my brain because I felt really bad for him. Um, so you can do subtle things, buy from minority businesses, call it out when you see it in you know a polite or not polite way to you know you can gauge like if it's your friends or family you probably can't be like you're a douche you know <laughs> you probably can't you could just like veer veer away. Um, there's some excellent books about it too. Um, there's just uh per yeah supporting at least financially and then um in those you can you can go subtle and then eventually you just sort of build momentum but i i do feel bad for a lot of so many ex-mormons especially if you're not of a minority status you have to like unlearn everything that you've been taught because it all contributed to the problem uh so I don't know. I think that's my advice. Buy, buy from indigenous businesses. And, you know, if you live in a place, look for political candidates that are supporting indigenous or other groups of people's rights, like black people. Another really good example suffered horribly from colonization. Yeah. Um, and that type of racism and specific colorism and stuff goes all the way even into my culture. There are natives who are super racist. <laughs> like I've shame on them but yeah so those things but that's basically i want to encourage y'all you're doing good you already you've already done a couple <laughs> steps you're already fighting the power you're already you know wow thank you take down the patriarchy <laughs> thank you i guess i guess i've solved racism then um <laughs> i guess i guess i guess i guess it's over um uh <laughs> so i actually okay i i i want to kind of do something here um I want to do a second episode where we talk more about this, uh, especially, and we did this with your husband as well, where we talked about after the church and and unpacking all of that and working through all of that and then where he's at now. And I think continuing this part of the conversation uh, in that episode, in that context would be really great because I think that's a, that's a big thing. Like people need to learn how to like, okay, you've, left the toxic organization now what can you do to help that that process that that you're already on um and then so in the meantime uh as we kind of lead into the last little bit of this episode if you have time for another episode i know i'm, I'm asking I for do. All. i um, made time for y'all this is like the highlight of my week this perfect is, it's it's the highlight of ours too. church i'm ready <laughs> so ready at all times um so let's let's uh, wrap up with uh, your time at BYU Idaho. Um, you graduated BYU Idaho. Like, did you finish your undergrad there? Yeah, I did. Um, I finished. I literally survived. Um, the week that I graduated, me and my best friend and the guy that I was dating got stalked by white supremacists. So, literally, wow. happy we made it out alive for real. Yeah, he, he was Mexican. I have a type, so he was Mexican, and I, we were literally like fought, like followed and stalked because he was out with two, you know, white presenting women. It was, it was really scary. Um, but yeah, I graduated. 
Um, and then I moved back to Fresno for a little bit just to save money and spend time with my adorable little parents. And then I came out to Oklahoma so we can, ooh, exciting conclusion to this, to this part. So did you meet your husband in Oklahoma? That's I did. And there's like a cool aspect of what got me to Oklahoma in the first place. Yeah. Um, and how leaving Bowie, Idaho is the beginning of me leaving the church. So happy, happiness. Happiness ensued once I got out of that place. I love it. Yeah. Um, for a lot of us, I think a lot of people who, <laughs> who have been to BYU-Idaho can attest. Uh, Bishop Jensen's wife also went to BYU-Idaho for a short time. And uh, I, I think we can all appreciate how much better <laughs> life is po post uh, BYUI. That is honestly um, a legitimately awful, terrible institution. Like I, I hate it more than I hate the church. Um, oh, word, oh, word. So, Preach it. <laughs> um, so if, if you want, we can pick up that part of the story in part two. Is that a good way to do it? I would love that. Okay, perfect. Then with that, everybody, thank you so much for listening. Uh, and I guess we'll we'll see you next week for uh, part two. I guess we'll close in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs> Amen.